0: Creation, creation,
1: creation, creation. Opposing, opposing the government, the government, the government the conservatives, and the frames the hard left, left who left want to tighten back right control. They want, they want to sideline modern
2: opponents. I don't think anybody right. should be surprised that that is the nature right. of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left, famously, cannot right. tolerate any dissent, yeah, right. to what, We know that the hard left,
1: right. who associate with the hard left, you just said that were going to run.
3: Printing money, so nationalisation, without
1: compensation, mm. hard,
0: hard, hard let- <laughs> left, hard <inaudible> left-, left-, Low- left, hard <misunder> left, card- left- Low- right- hard <gasps> left, hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, left.
2: actually I think it's been almost exactly two years since I was on you the first time Oh wow! Because we were talking about the Peterloo 100 year anniversary yes. I think, and, and the Mike Lee film and it was just I think I, again I was just sort of reading depressing academic essays about Peterloo <laughs> this morning and said oh yeah it's been two years so yeah, happy anniversary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was a really good episode. I thought. Yeah,
2: no, me sure.
1: too. It's a shame thinking of it that there hasn't been a Mike Lee film for two years. But I guess he—that's he, the standard length. He often goes a few years between films. Hmm. So. But yes, that was a historic anniversary of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of a, you know, a momentous event in British history and the history of the working class in this country. Mm-hmm. And this is a historic anniversary of the momentous <laughs> first uh, collaboration between Rianne Jones and the Real Politic podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff.
1: Cool. Yeah, let's get into it.
2: Cool. Hey. I wanted to say as well thanks for sending me all the links i just i've just finished listening to it, uh, shadow kingdom for a second time today. oh
1: great it's awesome, yeah I,
2: it? I really i don't know if you, maybe you want to sort of explain what it is and what he's been up to first of all before i sort of give my
1: yeah 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 well, my opinion on it well yeah we'll get we'll get into all that i guess because yeah like i say my show notes are mostly sort of his recent projects stuff that either we haven't covered on the show or that we have maybe but i'm interested in hearing what you think about it mm-hmm. so hey folks at home <laughs> <laughs> the multitudes out there welcome to the real politic podcast we're bringing you your favorite real politic content the bob dylan episodes that's uh, that's what's happening today we're gonna go deep it's gonna be great for people who are very interested in bob dylan Um, But there is a twist this time because it's not just me sort of like lecturing Yair for like four hours. It's (laughs) (laughs) I'm joined by a special guest who herself is a very big appreciator of the work of Mr. Robert Zimmerman and is an esteemed writer, journalist on the British left. And well, the Welsh left as well. Like shout out to my friends in Desolation Radio. I've know I know you've done mm. episodes with them, and yes. um, generally rep Wales a lot. Be it the Manic Street Preachers, or the Stereophonics, or <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I try from the Sublime to the Ridiculous on uh, Welsh music.
1: Yeah, or you know, for, for for various other wonderful facets of the Welsh culture, but. We're joined today by Rianne E. Jones, the writer of the new book, Paint the Town Red, which is a book about the Preston model, I think co-written with Matthew Brown.
2: Yeah, the head of Preston City Council, who's a leading architect in bringing municipal socialism back to Preston, which is partly what the book looks at.
1: And you've also got a new podcast called Mm -hmm. Handbags and Glad Rags, which is about women in popular culture?
2: Yeah, that's me and my partner in crime, Ali Davis, who also worked with me on a book called Under My Thumb, which is basically a collection of essays by women who are fans of bands and artists and men that might be considered... Uh, problematic and how we negotiate that and and deal with it and yes my chapter is on uh, is on Bob Dylan
1: (laughs) yeah I was gonna say (laughs) which problematic male artist did you cover in that book Um, (laughs) but no of course I've read I've read that chapter and it's very good indeed and we Mm. talked about it a little bit on your last appearance yes yeah we did but not too much because I didn't want Garant to just be sitting there like
2: (laughs) what are they talking about
1: (laughs) Gerain politely declined to appear on today's episode as he said oh. he would he wouldn't have much to contribute, but he sends his warmest regards to you, Rian. Oh, same Lysander Buck. Excellent. So we just wanted to have in what is fairly standard for real politics although I mentioned what is not standard is that I actually drew up about half a page of notes for this episode <laughs> such as my commitment to the dylanological science pioneered by the great aj Weberman. <laughs> but we're gonna have in again what is fairly typical for real politic a kind of free-flowing chat about bob dylan our personal connections to him we're obviously close personal friends that's what I meant there no I just (laughs) meant to his music and what he's been up to lately his recent projects so where do we start
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking when you were saying that like that's it's actually a huge weight of responsibility whenever anyone asks me to talk about Dylan because I really try not to be evangelical (laughs) <laughs> about him and I try not to foist him on people even though like there's loads of ways in which I could and I sort of you know if my friends are particularly militantly left-wing then I make them listen to his like talking John Birch paranoid blues and then all the, all yeah. the sort of civil rights music and if they're more kind of like blues aficionados then I give them his later stuff but then i realized that that's really excruciating to be around someone who does that so i mostly just try and be quite aloof about it and like oh well you know if you, if you know you know you'll have to um, <laughs> every individual has to, to find their own personal covenant with bob i think mm,
1: if you know you know pushy <laughs> t who has a song by that name one rapper who i don't believe has called himself a bob dylan of rap if you know although know. i've been extensively researching it and many <laughs> many rappers have called themselves the bob dylan of rap at one point
2: oh ah, <laughs> interesting
1: yeah that's actually the longest paragraph in my notes is dylan and rap and i've just got all these, <laughs> these connections listed but let's let's talk about that later um cool. I get what you mean. I throw my Dylan content out there into the ether for whoever wants it. Mm. You know, not many people want it, but if anyone, if anyone does, it's out there. I'm going to be posting about Dylan. You can choose to like mute my app plus the search term Dylan if you wish, (laughs) but (laughs) I will be putting some stuff out there in the hope that some people see and think. Oh, whoa, I need to check out those six really good quality shows from the 2005 North American tour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it took me a long time to discover Dylan myself or to feel the connection to him that I ended up feeling. Cause I, I think, like most people, I was first introduced to him through his early folky stuff and like, blowing in the wind and the times are changing. And I, I wrote about this in under my thumb because like, I grew up in a left-wing old labour household where cultural politics was very important I always felt very guilty for hating folk music as much as I did and I really tried because I understood its political significance but I just I couldn't get on at all with this kind of thing and it wasn't until but two or three years later when I was at university and decided to check out Blonde on Blonde which is his even though it's, it's not a very later album his persona on there and his incarnation is totally different from his folky stuff and it was much more, as someone who was at Goldsmiths and going out in Shoreditch and various hipster poisoned parts of East London, the fact that he'd written about 60s New York, which in some ways was a similar scene, meant that I could relate to it. But also yeah. just even beyond a personal connection, just like his use of language and the fact that the music is so absolutely stunning on that album meant that I was just blown away. And from then on, I was like, well, I have to hear everything that he's done, which is a, is a lifetime project.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like I find Dylan is one of those people who like the more you learn about him the less you actually know. Like mm, you you the more you realize Shh, what do I It's like that guy Clinton Hyland keeps writing these thousands of pages long biographies of Dylan and then he seems to have realised like I I don't know how old he is but I'm guessing about like 70 and he seems to have just like realised at some point in the last few years he doesn't actually like Dylan like he's really got (laughs) got it in for him like as a person like I haven't read his new book but all the reviews sort of like comment that he just seems to have this weird like resentment to Dylan and I think think only
2: Down the Highway is the only one I've read of his I think Is is Down the Highway a a Halen one?
1: He's really good for, like, extensive research. Because, like I say, Mm. he's he's just dedicated his life to the stuff. But I guess at a certain point, yeah, maybe you're like... Maybe I won't, like, find the meaning of life. He is just, like, a great, a great musician.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I find that with Real Marcus, the critic that I've read most on Dylan from, I think. And he also is bordering on the obsessive and, and mm. slightly sort of worrying on um, some, some levels. But I enjoy how sort of deeply he goes into Dylan's lyrics and his sort of mythology. Though there's one, I've actually just remembered there's a, I can't remember which book it is, but it might actually be called Greal Marcus on Dylan, um, with with a stunning lack of imagination. Um, <laughs> and, and Dylan has provided a quote for it, which on the one level just seems quite bland. And then read again, sounds really passive aggressive, which says, <laughs> says some, something like Greal Marcus has done it again. Uh, This book is terminal. It goes into this period of time like a rake. (laughs) (laughs) That's such classic
1: Dylan way to phrase it.
2: Okay. Uh... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like a rake. (laughs) Fantastic. Maybe Dylan at some point, you get the sense he read some of his own press. I think Mm. maybe at some point he stopped and maybe that's why he's still so angry at the guy who called him Judas because he hasn't seen, <laughs> he hasn't seen any of the new attacks on him <laughs> <laughs> Well no he definitely has actually because that was why he in that legendary interview If I actually mentioned I actually seem to mention this interview every time we talk about Dylan on the show oh
2: yes I know the one you mean
1: the 2012 interview where they asked him about the allegation that he's a plagiarist in his songwriting and 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 in fact elsewhere for example Chronicles or his Nobel Prize acceptance speech and he Chronicles is his memoir for those not in the know but he really goes off and he says that the people who call him a plagiarist Plagiarist, uh like the guy who called him Judas and that they're evil motherfuckers who can rot in hell. <laughs> and he gets so impassioned. Like, you can't hear him say it. It's an interview on the page, but you can really feel, like, the passion building in him is he's like, they call me Judas. And for what? <laughs> like, the most sickening traitor ever known. He <laughs> sold out our lord and saviour. <laughs> like, it's like... great how much he just hates Judas but yeah like so he obviously is kind of aware that some people have slagged off his what can be called plagiarism sometimes I think sometimes maybe it is Mm. but a lot of the time it's fairly legit I think putting a line from a fairly I mean Okay, Henry Timrod, the poet laureate of the Confederacy, is probably no more obscure than any other Confederate poet. But uh, (laughs) taking a line from his poem and putting it in a song that's about completely different stuff, and maybe Mm. there is another line that's taken from somewhere in that song, but it's from the memoir of, of a Yakuza boss. Like, <laughs> I don't see how that can be accused of being just a retread of the original source material.
2: Mm, no, definitely. And I mean, he is, because of the kinds of music, the styles of music that he's engaged with over his career, most of those kinds of music are quite referential. Blues certainly is. I mean, you see a lot of rap musicians do it as well. They will sort of reference each other's lines or name drop and that kind of thing. And I think he does a form of that, but with archaic Civil War memoirists rather than um, (laughs) people he knows these days. Well, up Um,
1: until the latest album, when the names that he's dropping get a lot more contemporary, Mm. Well, yes, it's that's not like too modern. He's not like, and Travis Scott, my good friend. <laughs> it, it, it's it, it, it's obviously like Stevie Nicks it. or the uh, Rolling
3: <laughs> Stones. And then British bad boys, the Rolling
1: Stones. Or whatever, but it's still I contemporaries right of the his.
2: Yeah, yeah. He wrote I that whole song about Lennon, from John Lennon. <laughs> As opposed on, John. to Vladimir Ilyich. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still yeah. waiting for that song.
3: Your band's
1: so bad. I'm sure
2: you'll get
1: round to it eventually Well there's the line about how down Marx Is burning in hell
2: on, um, Oh yes <laughs> uh, <his> <laughs> <album>. <laughs> But
1: it's open to interpretation <laughs> Step right in To the burning hell
3: Where some of the best known Enemies of mankind dwell Mr. Freud with his dreams Mr. Marx with his axe See the raw hard lass
1: Rip the skin from their back he has done that quite a lot he actually the most contemporary name i guess yeah, exactly. to appear on a dylan record is when on thunder them. on the mountain in 2006 oh, it's like it i mean think easy. yeah I was, I, <laughs> I was thinking about alicia keys <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about alicia keys
3: couldn't keep him crying, but she was born in Hills kitchen i was living down the line i'm wondering where in the world is you Keys. I've been looking for her Even clear through
1: Tennessee I'm wondering where in the world Alicia Keys could be
2: <laughs> And it's actually, that's reminded me of the very long song that ends Time Out of Mind, Highlands, where there's just and obviously it's very sort of picaresque a dog story or whatever that he's telling in the narration, but there's a bit in it where he's basically trying to chat up a waitress who says, like, basically, I bet you haven't read any women novelists. And, and he comes <laughs> back with, have I read Erica Young! Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it's such a <laughs> funny rhyme. He's like, uh, she, she says, you don't read women authors, do you? And I say, you're wrong. She
3: says you don't read women authors, do you? At least that's what I think I hear her say. Well, I said, how would you know? And what would it matter anyway? Well, she says, you just don't seem like you do. I well, said, you're way wrong. She says, which ones have you read then?
1: She says, <laughs> okay, who? I say, <laughs> Erica Young. <laughs> it's And that song also has Be Mortal. And I'm, I'm listening, listening to Neil Young. Young. <laughs> I,
3: gotta I gotta turn up the sound. Someone's, someone's always dealing.
1: Turn, turn it down. <laughs> Like, is that a shot at Neil for playing too loud? <laughs> Apparently, when Neil Young used to sit in with Dylan at the start of the Never Ending tour in 1988, he'd just, like, do mad solos throughout the entire show, like, at oh, wow. top volume, and just wear Dylan out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. But, yeah, I love that Erica Young line. That's, that's of all really...
2: of the... Yeah, I'm, of a man who sort of came of age, I think, or came of political age in the 60s and probably had... All the women around him, sort of saying, "Why don't you read more women authors, or at least be a bit less of an unthinking chauvinist?" As he sometimes was. So we can come on to that. But yeah, I just love that C- clearly it sunk in, and then 40 years later, on Time Out of mind, he's like, "Oh yeah, there was there was that one woman that I read." <laughs>
1: Great song, Highlands. six really minutes of just the most repetitive <laughs> blues groove, and he's just like ordering scrambled eggs. And... <laughs> you don't get that stuff elsewhere. It's, it's a similar thing with Key West on the last mm. album, this super languorous, laid-back, accordion-laced song. With a Floridan feel, where indeed, like, about half the lyrics are about how nice Florida is, but then the rest are about the assassination of William McKinley, US president, in the early 20th century, or about how Bob, at 12 years old, was forced to marry a prostitute, or the protagonist of the song, possibly. there is no I historical record him. of that happening <laughs> in his own life, <laughs> although the people strong. at the website Genius I speculate, all, in a very man. highly rated annotation, wow, that that, that really is about really his old. connection to the Jewish faith and the marriage yeah, to the, the good prostitute was his bar mitzvah.
2: Oh, goodness Wait
1: me. me. <laughs> 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 don't know what to make of it, but a <laughs> lot of people doing Dylan annotations on Genius seem to buy it. <laughs> What did you think of Rough and Rowdy Ways?
2: I thought it was grit, and that oh, came no, as an enormous relief be because it's never a given that I'll find any new Dylan project particularly good. But I was I'm pleased that I liked this one. I'm just yeah. trying, I should, I should have something more interesting to say about it, shouldn't I? It really was <laughs> <laughs> a return to form, I think, Lewis. because the stuff that I have liked... Of him from the Absolute past 20 or 30 bro. years has been stuff like Modern Times and the Love and Theft, and, and I feel yeah. it's more of a. I, I bracket Rough and Roadie Ways with those two the albums rather Raleigh. than any of the other ones. I like all the sort of the we archaic mystical it. stuff in it, I think yes. is really interesting, and he's done that really well. The time I would to see him play yes, Wembley in what was I think about must have been 2014 or something like that, and he was doing his Sinatra covers and Tony Bennett's covers uh, and things like that. And oh, like, yeah, yeah. I was pleased that he's moved on from that. I really wasn't sure if he was going to lean into that and just end his days as a crooner, which would have been uh, really undignified. So I'm pleased that he's gone back slightly earlier to stuff that I found more enjoyable.
1: Yeah, he released 50 tracks tracks of standards across Mm. a period of about three years. Uh, There were two albums, one after the other, and then a triple album to, to tie it all up called Triplica. But I feel like that was part of the progression. And I think one of the contrasts between Rough and Rowdy Ways and Tempest, his last album of original material, which came out in 2012, is that his voice is drastically different. Both albums have a pretty wide-ranging lyrical approach and a lot going on on the page, but on this new album, it feels like maybe spending that time with the Great American Songbook mm. allowed him to get in touch with singing in a softer style, a more nuanced style, and getting kind of acclimatised, finally, mm. at the age of 80, <laughs> to the lower vocal range that he's had for the last couple of decades.
2: Yeah, I was actually quite surprised at how gentle um, his singing was, actually, of his whole vocal approach even though I do enjoy the discordant approach of his early days but I was really impressed with how pleasant it is at the moment like he's, he's got there in the end hasn't he you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 I guess you know he spent so much time studying folk music and blues music where you can just kind of like belt it out as gruffly as possible mm. and then he dedicated that same level of attention to these kind of, maybe a bit cornier but overall sort of more melodic kind of songs. And mm. I mean, the last time he did that was New Morning self-portrait kind of time. And then yes. as well, he found new ways to sing. So yeah, I feel like when he really puts his mind to something, to this day, he still seems to be learning and growing as, as an artist and a musician.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, just thinking back to, I mean, the less said about self-portrait the better, but New Morning is a very <laughs> good album like melodically and sonically I think and I find it amusing that having proved that he could sing on something like Lay Lady Lay Lay, like the reception to that was like oh my goodness he almost sounds enjoyable to listen to and then he just dropped that completely for another 20 years before before returning to it.
1: Yeah totally. There was the bootleg series Another Self-Portrait that came Mm. out a few years ago which features like a lot of stuff from the sessions for self-portrait with some new morning stuff mixed in so it's not all covers but there's a lot of really good singing on those when you kind of strip away the orchestral shit on them i mean i think there's kind of a novelty to hearing dylan sing over this like really bombastic cheesy backdrop which maybe is true of some of his 80s stuff in a different way but that's actually not true of his sinatra albums one of the discs of the triple album has a big horn section on it but they're all with his touring bands um, and they have the pedal steel guitar doing most of what the horn section of a string section would do on a sinatra hmm. record so still he didn't just do self-portrait part two you know although like i say there is an archival album called another self-portrait <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i guess obviously the centerpiece or but well it's not the centerpiece in how the album is sequenced it has its own disc. <laughs> it, clo- it closes the album a on a separate Dallas. CD. No Murder Most Foul.
2: Amazing. <laughs>
1: I mean, we did an episode inspired by Murder Most Foul after it came out, which I, I honestly think one of the worst episodes of a podcast we've ever done. I had not done my research on JFK conspiracy theories, so I was just coming out with all this like, uh, it doesn't add up, man, stuff, and, and hadn't spent long enough with the Dylan track to process it and have a really good critique of the song, but, uh, critique makes it sound like I want to lay it into um. it. I think it's... <laughs> fucking brilliant. Oh
2: absolutely I mean it's <laughs> yeah. like most of <laughs> his masterpieces which are not generally acknowledged as masterpieces I don't think but no one other than Bob Dylan would have, have come I out with such a you thing you know <laughs> <got to laughs> <go ahead.
3: laughs>
2: before you even start thinking about is he actually, is he endorsing any conspiracy theories, like what actually is You're his opinion, opinion of JFK, just the fact I think that he is are coming for the Yeah I, I, would, I would not be surprised at all
1: <laughs> <laughs> What he's saying it seems to be more or less the Oliver Stone argument which is like elements within the D state thought that LBJ would be a more amenable figure to to their sinister plans for war I mean he Mm -hmm. doesn't really get into uh, the military industrial complex but like the way just simply the conspiracy stuff that he does drop in there all hmm. seems to be drawn from that strain of it.
2: Interesting. I mean, it's kind of of a piece, again, in terms of political critique, it's kind of of a piece with his very early stuff like Masters of War and that kind of thing. Like it's, it's, a, it's a fairly entry-level sort of civil rights folk movement, with some of the slightly weird uh, conspiracy stuff added. Yeah, like three bums <laughs> coming all dressed
1: in rags and stuff, but some of the stuff, there's Rub stuff I didn't down. even realize, it's but I'm fairly sure is intentional, now. like when he brings the Beatles into it, they're, they're mm. going to hold your hand, and then he just says, Ferry, cross the Mersey. Like, <laughs> I don't think it will have escaped, but a major figure in JFK. is David Ferry. <laughs> I'm fairly sure that Dylan has, like, go. read for books and stuff. So, very pun- well, actually, the that's the kind of pun a rapper would do. Sure. But, I mean, <laughs> this is very much not a straight-faced song the whole way through. There's, There's a lot of humour in there. In uh, ranks, and uh, that makes it all the and more, and more impactful um, when he does get I'm really Lord serious and, and say, aquarium. like, the age of the Antichrist has just only begun.
0: Hmm just like, so. stuff like a that movie. you get a sense of like what the
1: jfk assassination which may there's well have been a conspiracy a <laughs> meant to him, him personally knows. how it dashed a lot of his hopes and mm. obviously yeah, like he's somebody boots. who while he was involved Hold in the, the civil suit. rights movement in the early 60s oh, he never got involved in you, the counterculture in the late 60s mm. uh, He's already become very politically in cynical long before.
2: Yeah, I mean, as, as with we, well, most things, he's always like five years ahead of his time, at Black least, and the, the sort of post disillusionment and the loss of innocence that kind of set in at the end of the, the 60s, he seemed to have that by about 65. I mean, yeah, like, you know? well,
1: <laughs> Highway 61... Well, no, like, sorry, Bring It All Back Home was his first electric record. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you were saying early you felt guilty as a leftist that you didn't like folk music. Mm. And it was almost like with those records he was kind of turning his back on a sort of leftist mode of songwriting uh, oh yeah completely and that's why i have no doubt that the guy who yelled judas at him was like a member of some obscure british trotskyist sect
2: oh yes he might have been a stalinist actually but like oh, yeah wow. he, he was i, I don't <laughs> quite know how i know this i'll google it and i back up my claims so I'm, I'm not slandering the poor guy but there was something in it that was It wasn't simply Dylan making a stylistic decision to go electric or making an aesthetic decision. It it was a political decision from the point of view of a lot of his audience in the folk movement. So, yeah, they really did find it quite a betrayal and and quite a horrifying thing for him to have done. But he seemed to be doing it in response to some kind of disillusionment in himself or some kind of boredom or or perhaps just generally... trolling because I mean he's always been motivated by this absurd contrarian impulse which is one of the reasons I love him but his motivation might have been no more than that but yeah his real his relationship with folk music and the politics that are attached to folk music I think are fascinating.
1: That's where you get figures like AJ Webberman springing up who uh, mm. I believe was the leader of an organisation called the Dylan Liberation Front. <laughs> oh was, felt that Dylan... <laughs> John Lennon was, in fact, a member of the Dylan Liberation Front. These people who felt that Dylan had been sort of captured by the capitalist establishment. Mm. And not only did they see stuff like Dylan's friendship with the republican johnny cash as uh, evidence of him more willing to hang with squares than he was with (laughs) those who were hit they they (laughs) couldn't really accept that he had made this change in his songwriting and moved away from a didactic mode uh, Mm. into something that at first was this high-flying psychedelic mess of energy That his music was ever psychedelic, um, <laughs> and I use "mess" in the most positive sense there. Oh, absolutely! But, but then, subsequently, on John Wesley Harding, then became more rooted in a different part of a folk tradition that was less mm. explicitly political. And then on Nashville Skyline, was just him writing capital S songs, you know, like <laughs> stuff stuff you might hear on radio, like mm. songs about. How nice it is to be alone with you. How nice I'll be staying here with you tonight. I'm gonna have some country pie. You know what I mean. Like, I like Nashville Skyline, you know, but to Webberman, they had to analyse it, like, oh, so pie obviously means, like, money, and, like, you know, or, like, so everything in his lyrics. I think maybe actually Webberman sort of really got into this later on in his life when he went to prison. And he, mm. said, he said he had a Damascene conversion and realised he'd been analysing Dylan wrong and that Dylan wrote in kind of code where when he said one thing he meant another. But <laughs> this went from just reading conservative messages in Dylan's mm. lyrics to him full on thinking, well maintaining for decades I think that Dylan is like a self-hating Jew and holocaust denier mm. so like Weberman is absolutely a textbook example of when like trying to read every Dylan lyric as a proclamation from the mount mm. <laughs> passed down on stone tablets to the congregation below is ultimately kind of a fool's errand whilst oh, absolutely. there is much you can draw from his music
2: Sure. I mean, particularly when he does want to be politically explicit about something, he will write a song like Neighbourhood Bully or uh, (laughs) Union Sundown or something. Like, it's it's not that he is incapable of directly articulating his political thoughts. I just don't think he's very interested in doing so. I'm sure he clearly has a lot of political thoughts, but he doesn't seem to think it's anyone else's business, which, you know, I, I respect, but it's perhaps an odd thing to see in a musician and a public figure. Some of
1: his politics seem kind of obscure. And Mm. I guess a lot of his songs, they're either set in the past or set in a place where time doesn't exist Mm. and uh, different timelines are like running concurrently. But because, I guess, yeah, post neighborhood bully, he doesn't have too many explicitly political lyrics you do kind of think oh his politics must be this like crazy this mystique filled like yeah who knows where he's coming from but on the other hand when he actually has come out with politics you're like oh yeah he he's like a rich guy who's basically liberal like (laughs) he he played at the white house for obama he Mm. had the lighting people at one of his concerts shine a light on tony garnier's obama pin (laughs) Which like I don't know how the audience would have seen that because Bob never has big screens at his concerts, but okay. <laughs> and when he does, but the they... thought was there. <laughs> yeah, when he does have big screens, they never show his band; they just show a static shot of him at his <laughs> piano. <laughs> Bizar- uh, that's something I wanted to get into actually, the, the weird live performance mystique. But yeah, and then there's other stuff, you know, good stuff, agreeable stuff. Like he was very distressed by the murder by police of George Floyd, for example.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean his nadir, I think, was when he appeared at Live Aid. He just he just sort of came out <laughs> and criticised it and said something like, "Well, what about what about U.S. farmers?" And, and then he played a Farm Aid benefit gig or something. You know what, well, I, I, I hope, I just like to say, I hope that some of the money that's
3: raised for all the people in Africa, maybe they could just take a little bit of it, maybe one or two million maybe, and use it, say, to pay the uh, pay the mortgages on some of the farms and that the farmers here owe to the banks.
1: That inspired Neil Young, Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp to establish FarmAid the uh, following year. And they've done it every year ever since.
2: I mean, in, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can't really criticise that decision. And apart from like how, how sort of US centric <laughs> yeah. it was and sort of eco- economically nationalist. But it also seemed like classically archaic as well. Like trust Dylan to worry about agricultural work. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Yeah, totally. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that was both. You can see why Neil Young glommed onto that at the time, that he was Mm. in his sort of Reagan period. Um, But it's not, I mean, it was never like a pro-Reagan thing, actually. It always was against the way that his government was handling family farms versus the Mm. big corporate ones. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it was not pro-capitalist. I think that's the distinction that he would always draw conservative without being capitalist exactly Oops. like
1: but it was a kind of economic nationalist thing to stand on stage at this thing about poverty in africa i mean i mean obviously live aid in itself very flawed and Geldof's mm. approach to philanthropy but i guess bob was on a bit of a you know what about the american worker trip mm. at that point because that was two years after the song you mentioned not neighborhood bully the other one uh, union sunday yeah, yeah. which the lyrics I like, bet they're, they're not wrong <laughs> they're all about like <laughs> labor being exported aboard but didn't you say yeah he put it much better on working man's yeah.
2: blues too Oh, yeah, which has such a a sophisticated analysis. For Dylan, it has a sophisticated analysis of (laughs) flick capitalism. And it's got him using the term proletariat, which is uh, just wonderful, I think.
1: (laughs) It's better than on the Christian album where he's just like, (laughs) He's just doing like a list of isms.
2: Oh, yes. God, I, I repressed so much of the eighties albums. I think mean, isn't that on Street Legal though? I think, which is actually not too. It, it's it's oh. it's a bad song on Street Legal, but Street Legal is not a bad album, That's I think my popular opinion.
1: I think you might be right. Well, yeah, Street Legal's got some great songs on it. It's got Signor Tales of Yankee mm. Power, which has this incredible imagery of like Senior. like fascist imagery. I'm not yeah, saying it seems pro fascist. There's an iron cross still hanging from around her neck. Mm. Like, it always just gets me. But I'm never quite sure how it fits in, but it gives the song a gravity. Yeah.
2: Again, it's that kind of, as, as you were saying, they seem to be set in either timeless eras or an era where all time is happening all the time, because you've got sort of, I guess, classical fascist imagery. You've also got the early 20th century imperialism and all that kind of thing, mixed up with some weird love triangle going on as well. Like, I just yeah. think it's an incredible song.
1: Oh, totally, yeah. Mm.
3: There's an iron car still hanging
1: down from around her neck It's like it's set during a spaghetti western and mm. a Second World War movie Yes I mean we should talk a little bit about Working Man's Blues too Because this is ostensibly a left-wing podcast And <laughs> you were posting on Twitter about certain lyrics in this song That you feel are just such profound lyrics about the class struggle And I was wondering if you could remind me which those were There's an evening heave Settling over town Starlight by the
3: end of the creek The buying power of the pro has gone down is getting shallow and weak well, Where the place I love best is a sweet memory It's a new path that we draw They say low wages are reality If we want to compete a
2: Oh, sure. I mean, I was clearly drunk at the time, but suddenly... <laughs> <Well>, it <laughs> starts off with this beautiful, come romantic come image. The There's an evening haze settling over the town, starlight by the edge of the what creek, and then jumps straight it into Smash cuts the... Buying power of the proletariat's gone down. <laughs> money's money's getting shallow and weak. So throughout the whole song, there's this jumping between I guess pastoral romantic imagery of the past and then the very destructive force of industrial capitalism. So the next verse goes on, the place I love best is a sweet memory, it's a new path that we trod. They say low wages are reality if we want to compete abroad, which is, you know, just pulled straight from the headline.
3: You can hang back or fight your best on the front line
1: sing a little bit these or from union sundown but it's yes. true like, like I say I don't disagree with that line on trade
0: <laughs>
2: yeah yeah what, I what think it's the just one, the, the, one? the point that I was making in general I think is that it's a very uh, there's a lot of ostensibly trivial minutiae in the song which is all about memories and personal romance and then the zenith of it, or the refrain that it keeps coming back to is you can hang back or fight your best on the front line. Yeah. Which seems to me to be about choosing sides in a class struggle.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of these lines... I'm going through the lyrics now, trying to find. I think there might have been a particular stanza you posted, or maybe it just made me think of it. But maybe it's this one. They burned my barn and they stole my horse. Yeah. I can't save a dime. It's a long way down. I think on the album he says, I've got to be careful. So here's the thing, Dylan rewrites his lyrics after he's already put the songs out. And once he's rewritten them, he obviously submits them to his publishing company and gets his website to like change the lyrics on, on there. So various songs like Pay In Blood, Working Man's Blues 2 from recent albums, Uh, they're already drastically different but I don't want to be forced into a life of continual crime, Mm. I can see for myself that the sun is sinking over the banks of a deep blue sea, yeah I mean again that line is rewritten. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in how he's rewritten these lyrics actually Mm. the new verses, there is one that's just like completely mad.
3: I'll be back home in a month or two When the frost is on the vine I'll punch my spear right straight through Halfways down your spine Then I'll lift my arms to the starry skies And I'll pray the fugitive prayer I'm a-guessin' tomorrow that the sun will rise I hope the final judgment's fair when the battle is over Up in the hills And the mist is you Look me Without my spells What
1: did I ever do? I'll be back when home in a month shooting, or two When the frost is right on right the vine I'll, I'll punch my spear hands. right straight through Halfways down your spine, <laughs> and I'll lift my arms to the starry skies and pray a fugitive's prayer. I'm guessing tomorrow the sun will rise. I hope the final judgment's fair.
2: <laughs> Jeez, Bob. <laughs> what? i,
1: I got to find what is that because that verse has been entirely rewritten. I want to mm. see what that is in the original.
2: The one that I've literally just sort of googled this and yeah this version hasn't got that verse in it at all Oh it's the, I sleep in the kitchen with my feet in the hall, sleep is like a temporary death
1: I love that line Which is
2: just beautiful yeah
1: Yeah he never seems to do that one live but I never get too upset when he rewrites a song because, like, the studio version is out there and mm. I'm really interested in the fact that musically and lyrically they're these constantly evolving things.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the things I find most interesting about him that he's in a state of permanent reinvention. There's that brilliant line from The Thick of It uh, not a Dylan line now where someone's talking about Malcolm Tucker but he says, yeah. oh, he's got to keep moving or he dies. He's like a shark or Bob Dylan. <laughs> which so- I just is
1: very astute. Yeah, yeah that's a great line. It's probably written by like somebody uh, who <laughs> neither of us would like at all. <laughs> but yeah it's so true. whatever project he does he takes things from it and he uses what he's learned to inform whatever else he's doing. Like, his old songs that he's playing live will start to sound like his recent album or the album he's about to do like on the 2019 tour. There were some really fascinating arrangements that almost like set the tone for the very airy, spacey quality of certain songs on Murder Most, on Rough and Rowdy Ways, like mm-hmm. Murder Most Foul or I Contain Multitudes or Black Rider. Mm. The way he was playing When I Paint My Masterpiece. Great song. Yes. Or I the sort of he used to laugh about bit of like a Rolling Stone. Like the whole band would drop out, and so it's just kind of his piano and pedal steel, and just like. Mm. Now you do. Now you do so now you do. for
3: a Whatever the Your next step, I
2: Amazing. I mean, his yeah, his reinventions of like a Rolling Stone. I think there's a very early version of it that's basically like a waltz tune. Yeah. Um, That's it, yeah, I mean, sort of (laughs) (laughs) pounding away on the the piano but it's interesting to see how that develops into the single version which is amazing but he seems to be returning almost to that kind of three-step thing in recent performances which is interesting.
1: I wanted to talk about two things that I noted down. The Neverending Tour set list in 2019, it was like the definition of career spanning. I Mm. went through it and it featured songs From every single decade of his career. So, another development for 2019 tour was he started speaking to the audience again to (laughs) introduce his new band. Oh, wow. About half his band was new. Well, two members of his band were new, and the rest were longtime associates. Oh, and he played a bit of guitar as well, it says. There's two two songs that have the parentheses. Bob on guitar. Bob on guitar. go through the setlist quickly like you've got
2: mm, things quick.
1: have changed in 2000 that was his big single like it's the 21st century <laughs> and bob dylan is still here and he's not going away <laughs> some things have changed but one thing hasn't i'm mm. i'm rocking the game <laughs> And he's opened for almost every show for like 20 years with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Things have changed. Anyway, here's things have changed again.
2: <laughs> yeah, the set list is great. I don't know about you, like he always, or at least every gig I've seen him, he's played Honest With Me, which I just find unbearable. Like it's the, it's the worst sort of late period bluesy fret wank. Like I just, I can bear it. <laughs> Let me down. That's just. I I always go for like a smoke break or something. uh, (laughs) Everything else looks great.
1: (laughs) There's there's certain songs the last few years, but I sort of tuned them out because it's just like, oh yeah, basic blues like. Early Roman Kings of Tempest is like the most mm. basic ass blues. Is literally, da, 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 da. <laughs> but when I actually look at those songs on the page, there's some really cool stuff in there. Like Early mm. Roman Kings lyrically, I really like the whole thing. Basically, but yes. honest with me, the line that's sticking out is "My woman, you got a face like a teddy bear." <laughs> so,
2: indeed, I just,
1: I mean, what the hell, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck are you want about?
2: Sometimes he can, he can do. Bad stuff like that, and it completely works. Or boring stuff. I mean, le- Leopard Skin... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Leopard Skin pillbox hat is a very basic boring blues, but it's also like a brilliant song. So it's like he doesn't need to have like a spectacular hook or anything to have an interesting song. But yeah, yeah. Some- sometimes both of the things just fall down.
1: I feel like that about Goodbye Jimmy Reed off the last album It's fairly standard Mm. Like, well, Jimmy Reed influenced blues But Mm. it's just got a really rollicking feel And his lyrics are so good on it And his delivery is so good Dylan in battle rap mode You can't really go wrong with that He's just like hitting out of the haters He's getting inappropriately horny on the mic (laughs) But yeah, going back to like the 2019 set so yeah then he goes into it ain't me babe and highway 61 revisited so he does acoustic 60s song electric 60s song obviously both with the band then we're into the 70s for simple twist of fate which had loads of new lyrics you should have met me back in 58 then like can't wait from time out of mind mm. huge time out of mind representation in this show like, yeah i was gonna say i feel like maybe he dug the record out and listened to it because he was going back into the studio to make the first album of new material in a while mm. like which was also the case with time out of mind so maybe he was using it to inform what he was going to do next with rough and rowdy ways well mm. no, that mean, would yeah, make sense can't Wait isn't like the best song, but it's like a cool jam.
3: Mm.
1: When I Paint My Masterpiece Next.
2: Beautiful song. Great song,
1: yeah, from the early 70s. Appears again in Shadow Kingdom, which mm. I think we'll get to after this, but then, yeah, Honest with Me, your favourite song. <laughs>
2: that, <that'd be> <laughs> I think.
1: He likes to just have a a couple of, like, hard driving cruise rockers, per shot. Oh,
2: definitely. Probably for the sake of the band as much as anything else.
1: And something where he can not have to, like, seem too delicately. Yeah. My woman, she got a face like a teddy bear. (laughs) Then you've got possibly my favourite song in the entire Dylan catalogue, Trying to Get to Heaven. Oh,
2: yeah, that's a glorious song. It's uh, only Bettered by, which I see is coming up later, Not Dark Yet. So, I mean, oh, both of those yeah. songs on Time Out of Mind are just so wonderful.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, you just need standing in the doorway to complete the trifecta mm. of Time Out of Mind masterpieces. Yeah. Not to undersell Highway. Uh, sorry, highway, <laughs> Highlands. Uh, <laughs> it's good in different Indeed. Yeah, then Make You Feel My Love, the Adele classic. The Adele
2: classic, (laughs) (laughs)
0: yes.
1: Slash Billy Joel. Uh, (laughs) Although on Billy Joel, there is actually a point like, do you ever feel like, this is probably just me, but like, I get more respect for an artist automatically if I find out Bob Dylan likes them?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) It's happened with the Eagles. I already ironically liked The Eagles The documentary history of the Eagles Which is one of the funniest fucking things Like they're such pricks But then like Dylan was like Yeah pretty maids All in the world What a great song And I listened to it and I was like I do like this song But I guess Joe Walsh is the Eagle Who it's kind of like acceptable to like He made good solo albums Before he was in the
2: Eagles but, mm-hmm. but,
1: And then there's Jimmy Buffett
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, of all people.
1: Yeah, Dylan mentioned him alongside Warren Zevon and Randy Newman, his <laughs> favourite songwriters, and it just made me think, well, Buffett must be doing something right.
2: Mm, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, like, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I trust Dylan's taste impeccably. Like, for, yeah. no, for no good reason. Like, he's given me no reason to trust his taste over the decades. But yeah, I always <laughs> I always think better of an artist if he likes them.
1: It's like his cover of Don Henley's The End of the Innocents, going back mm. to the Eagles, actually. Like, I've never listen to that song, I didn't listen to it at all. I mean it was co-written by Bruce Hornsby who it has a Grateful Dead connection, which I'll get to in a second. But after hearing Dylan and being like, wow, this sounds like a fantastic song performed with this gravitas bob like, remember
3: when the D's were long I'm like, oh, this is so poignant. Then I listened to
1: the Don Henley version, I was like, oh fuck, I hate this, it's terrible. But the other thing is I already, unlike Buffett or the eagles i didn't need to be converted into being a deadhead i already Mm. had a long-standing love of the dead but just hearing how much dylan appreciated them and how much they informed what he's been doing the last 30 years with the never-ending tour like gave me a whole new appreciation of the dead because you mentioned that quote that dylan gave about the book about him earlier um But, like, after Jerry Garcia died in 1995, Dylan gave this incredible, like, two-paragraph eulogy to Rolling Stone magazine, which I'm gonna have to open up in a fucking private window because (laughs) they've got a paywall. Of Jerry Garcia, Dylan said, There is no way to measure his greatness or magnitude as a person or as a player. I don't think eulogising will do him justice. He was that great, much more than a superb musician with an uncanny ear and dexterity he is the very spirit personified of whatever is muddy river country at its core and screams up into the spheres he really had no equal wow he goes on for another paragraph then and, <laughs> and he says that jerry occupied all the spaces in music between the carter family buddy holly and ornette coleman mm. but just the muddy river country screams up into the spheres
2: <laughs> that's wonderful yeah
1: It's like I sent you, I'd gone through the first verse of Shelter from a Storm and Mm. highlighted just these three phrases that I thought were absolutely indelible and then the final line doesn't have one because it's, well, it's the title line which is mm. iconic enough as it is. But yeah, like, he, he really does have an incredible turn of phrase. I don't know if that needs to be said about Wolf <laughs> Dylan. But believe the hype. Oh, absolutely. Going back through that 2019 set list, so this was the last time that he properly played live before the never-ending tour was cruelly halted. by <laughs> The COVID-19 pandemic that, that we've created purely Despite Bob Dylan, <laughs> by the established the same establishment that killed President Kennedy in 1963.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Next up, you have Pay in Blood. Mm. Are you a fan Uh, of this song?
2: Well, this is the one, I think, when I was... I hadn't listened to Tempest yet, but I was reading the reviews, and one of the reviewers described it as Dylan begins to sing as though he's waking up from a general anaesthetic. Um, (laughs) And I thought, that sounds amazing. Like, I, I must hear this. So I've got a bit of a soft spot for it, because it is... Quite silly, but also, like, again, it's quite sort of vicious. And medieval in its bloodthirstiness, like, if they were the other examples we were talking about. So, yeah, I find it an odd song. I don't dislike it, it's just a bit strange.
1: It's a very strange song and yeah, you're totally right. The way that he delivers that first line is like you've turned on a napalm death record. that <laughs> happens to have pedal steel guitar on it and songs longer than two seconds for some reason. Like he's just like She's <laughs> amazing. The final verse of that paints an extremely grim picture of its protagonist's life. Um, mm. This is how I spend my days. I came to bury, not to praise. Yes. I'll drink my fill and sleep alone. I'll pay in blood, but not my own.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, wonderful. it's very it's very cliche, but like Game of Thrones, always. It's sort yeah, of, uh, I imagine him as hoisted in some awful desolate stone castle somewhere
1: the despotic king yeah the Mm. top of the highest turret of the castle Mm. uh, and he's just kind of in there stewing (laughs) over like the knight who wronged him 30 years ago
2: exactly oh it's it's Uh, also got the line. you got the same eyes that your mother does if only you could prove who your father was which, which is just one of his like I, I love how bitchy he yeah. is throughout his career so I'm really pleased that he's still got that ooh element to him that he, he used to have in songs like Positively Fourth Street mm. still does a very good insult.
1: yeah that song it feels like it maybe has a little bit of angry stuff directed at women who've wronged him just mm. possibly uh, <laughs> the stuff like someone must have put a drug in your wine you gulped it down and you crossed the line mm. <laughs> he's changed that now to you lost your mind uh, well, actually, a strange speaking of that song and gender, there's a great line in it which is like another politician pumping out the piss, another oh, yes. angry beggar throwing you a kiss, I think, or another ragged beggar. But he's changed pumping out the piss to pumping out his piss, which, like, I just don't think sounds as good.
2: No, like, Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's, it's a very minuscule change, but it does lessen the whole line, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, I don't know if he was like trying to get in a shot at, at, at the, the orange man, Mr. <laughs> Trump, for something. But yeah, I feel like pumping out the piss has a better rhythm to it. Mm. And you know, there are women politicians pumping out the piss, I think. Absolutely. Like, the Hillary's of this world uh, deserve <laughs> that trademark Dylan Smoke, too.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Although, as
1: we've established he could well just be an establishment liberal privately <laughs> like his friend Bruce springsteen but yeah then next up you have big curveball in the set list Lenny Bruce
0: <laughs> oh yes
1: no. I mentioned that every decade of his career is represented in this set and this is the soul song from the 1980s <laughs> uh, and it's a bizarre choice
2: <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> Like, of all the. Well, I, I don't know what song I would have picked from the 80s, but. Yeah, an yeah, oddity.
1: I'm pretty sure, like, Every Grain of sand, is, like, the song before Lenny Bruce on that album. That, like, <laughs> it's, like, one of the best songs he ever wrote. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Lenny Bruce, the sole song representing <laughs> the ninety <98s>. eight. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: and it's another not contemporary reference, but a contemporary of Dylan's, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess
1: Lenny Bruce was on his mind same as mm. JFK was in early 2020 or John Lennon was when mm. he wrote Roll on John. Then next up you have from Tempest, Early Roman Kings. Roman Kings. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> the song where he reassures all his women fans out there that he is not afraid to make love to a bitch or a hag. <laughs> Neither. Thanks, Bob. Oh, Always, yeah. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> People are like, but, well, okay, but like he said, he'll make love to a bitch. But what about me? I, I'm a bitch. <laughs> <guy. laughs>
2: don't I worry. The title I find really interesting, and I've got no real idea what he was driving at. Early Roman kings, because they didn't. I don't think they had any, did they? And I, I might be just ridiculously historically ignorant here, but the, the Roman Republic was quite a big thing, wasn't it, rather yeah. than them? Um, no? Before the Republic was there. You, you are probably
1: right. I, I don't know. <laughs> (laughs) But even if there were early Roman kings, I doubt they wore shark skin suits.
2: (laughs) No, I really like how he's. I guess is he trying to sort of? He's reimagining the sort of avatar of masculine power as a contemporary one.
1: Yeah, it's another one of his songs full of weird anachronisms, but (laughs) it seems to feature different historical timelines running concurrently mm. um, like Twin Peaks or something <laughs> it's a basic <laughs> reference for me there but it's got again some like battle rap slash murder bob like <laughs> I'll strip you of life strip you of breath ship you down to the house of death <laughs> <laughs> I do think the lyrics to this song are great
2: <laughs> yes oh, no I mean it's one of his best furious and totally incoherent <laughs> lyrics you know which I love he's for very fine. good at them
1: Final verse I was up on Black Mountain the day Detroit fell. <laughs> First of all, like, what? Second, but then he continues, they killed them all off and they sent them to hell. Ding dong daddy. <laughs> just, that's always a great way to just kick off a life. Ding dong daddy. Ding dong daddy, you're coming up short. Gonna put you on trial in a Sicilian court. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: Marvellous. I guess is he drawing a line between contemporary Sicily and Rome? Who knows? Who knows? Who, who this is knows? An interesting song.
1: Yeah, like I say, great lyrics that I do not understand when he sings for ninety percent of the time. <laughs> then you have Girl from the North Country. Mm. I was talking about these airy, spacious arrangements that are somewhere between his Sinatra albums and the arrangements of Murder Most Foul or I contain Multitudes and Girl from the North Country had one of those as well, Hmm. very piano and steel guitar based. Although bizarrely, Dylan is not credited with playing any piano on the Rough and Rowdy Ways album. (laughs) The thing that he's been honing his playing (laughs) for
2: like
1: 20 years on stage. Marvelous. Um, Not Dark Yet is next.
2: Ah, Beautiful, beautiful song.
1: I've got to send you a video of him playing that on mm. the last tour because it was such a cool rearrangement. Completely different melody, but still really cool. And he seemed to play a lot of guitar on that song as well on the tour.
3: Shadows are falling, i in to It's too hard to sleep, and time has wandered Feel like my soul has turned into steel. I'm scared of the scars that the sun heal Not even room enough to leave anywhere. It's not like you, it.
1: but it's good. Then shout-out to the Keys, Thunder <laughs> on the Mountain, going back to 2006.
2: Again, I think this is a great song. I couldn't really explain why. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just got that... I really dislike the word rollicking, but it has, it's got that rollicking sense to it. It's I pretty think.
1: rollicking. This one had a, a new arrangement as well. He had a riff to it that was like... actually i'm pretty sure like thunder on the mountain and gotta serve somebody which is two songs later had really really similar rearrangements with riffs that were just like kind of cool rockabilly thing i guess um, then he had soon after midnight beautiful song on tempest which also features some lyrics hitting out a famous hater two-timing slim <laughs> whose corpse Dylan will drag through the mud.
2: (laughs) Wonderful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, then gotta serve somebody representing the Christian although sorry, Lenny Bruce also represents the Christian period, but is not Mm. an explicitly Christian song. (laughs) Ballad of a Thin Man, with Bob on guitar at 18. Oh, fantastic. The only song that Bob would play piano on, on the famous 1966 tour. Indeed,
2: indeed. And does it marvellously as well, like, again, I can't quite remember what album it was on, but it's the one that isn't the Royal Albert Hall yeah, Manchester Free Trade Hall gig. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just so angry, and there's a proper, like, sang through British teeth version of it, which I think is marvellous.
1: So many haters in that audience. <laughs> They just didn't know that they were born, you know. But Absolutely, <laughs> witnessing history. <laughs> I guess they were there making history by making Dylan so angry. So <laughs> we're all winners in the end. Absolutely. It, it inspired him. Well, it inspired him to like have a motorcycle crash and disappear from the public eye for a couple of <laughs> years, but <laughs> and not tour for eight more years but then finally to close out the show you have it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry
2: interesting choice to end with
1: again yeah a highway 61 song but not most people's favorite from that album i guess
2: Hmm, it's the one where he's got many songs like this where the title doesn't immediately tell you much at all about either the lyrics or the song itself i think it's again like a sort of basic blues with some very opaque Lyrics.
1: Super arcane title. I mean, that's (laughs) the classic thing with Bob in the mid 60s, which is like, why call a song Queen Jane when you can call Queen (laughs) Jane approximately? You know, why just call a song like Stuck Inside a Mobile when you can put the full with the Memphis Blues again line? (laughs) I don't disagree with him. These are iconic titles. Mm. Like, I can never remember the numbers in the name of Rainy Day Women. No.
2: Oh, yes. Well, it's part of, like you were saying, his music, though, not being psychedelic at all. His lyrics were often psychedelic, and I think his titles were a big part of that.
1: Yeah, I think he did acid before any of the hippies did. He did it, like, <laughs> pretty much the early 60s before Owlsley Stanley was distributing it to every deadhead in San Francisco. <laughs> that uh, would make sense. Yeah, again, that's just another thing that he got into. And then was over years before everyone else Yes <laughs> There was one lyric you mentioned to me I think on Infidels Don't fall apart on me tonight He's like the streets are filled with violence you
2: know Oh I yes, we've like lost us. all sense of hope We've lost our hope
3: You know it's not even safe no more In the palace of the
1: said that Griel Marcus thinks that vipers are dope smokers.
2: Yeah, but I think his evidence is that viping is a sort of really arcane term. Uh, vaping?
1: But... <laughs> 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 the streets are full of vapors. He was really before his time on that. Sorry, sorry. Oh
2: no, yeah, it was literally like, I think I don't know, it would have been sort of early 1910s Detroit slang or something for dope smoking was viping. So that was his argument. That I've no. It's one of those arguments that makes about as much sense as any other explanation does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love
1: Griel Marcus and the, the way that he works in these grand narratives of American history and politics into Dylan's lyrics. And his analysis of a song like Blind Willie McTell is second to none. Mm. But i think like frankly that's some Weberman ass shit i mean i mean mean, like i think that he by vipers he means just like snakes actual vipers yeah distrustful people no i mean i I assume he means like distrustful people like people trying to snake him like people Mm. lurking in the shadows to spite bob dylan or like he's walking down the street someone's like judas (laughs) (laughs) i think that's what he's thinking about because he was like copying a lot of heat from people at that time obviously because mm. he spent years being a very very hardline evangelical christian and um mm. so i assume that just means or oh, it could be a, like a garden of e- i mean i'm just getting into the web one <laughs> thing now I'm so, but it well it could just be like you know what is the snake in the garden of eden i mm. don't, I, don't, I never think it's a stretch to think that something in dylan well i say never it quite often is if you get into really deep dylanology but <laughs> it's not always a stretch to think dylan might be like referencing the bible and like Mm, it's a a very very standard thing a snake in that i'm gonna stop uh, (laughs) saying this but the other reason i don't believe that is that i'm pretty sure dylan still smoked weed at that point
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna mention which i think you did as well that the follow-up line as if that wasn't great enough is you know it ain't even safe no more in the palace of the pope
1: the palace (laughs) of the pope like, Again, of all of, of all places to
2: pick as a sort of historical sanctuary, it's like you, know, how many people have been murdered in the Vatican over the last uh, <laughs> two thousand years? <you> know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of vipers there, you know.
2: Indeed, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is something that's coming out. I wanted to segue into Shadow Kingdom, but I feel like we may as well mention now. But speaking of infidels, that album could get its own self-portrait style reclamation very soon. Which, which this would is be the thing... amazing with Dylan generally I'd say there has usually been a good album's worth of material recorded in the sessions for any of his kind of crappy albums (laughs) and I mean I don't think Infidels is a crappy album I think it's solid at worst but I think Empire Burlesque is kind of a crappy album Mm. and those two somewhat maligned but praised by some 80s records are gonna get d eightiesified, sified as has <laughs> happened with albums by David Bowie and The Replacements in recent years. We- mm. We're gonna get to hear some Bob Dylan songs from the 1980s with the gated reverb and stuff stripped off them.
2: <laughs> I'm hugely looking forward to all of this and I think Infidels is one of his most frustrating he makes the most frustrating choices on this album having left on some tracks that could quite easily have never been heard Blind William McTell is is the classic one one of the best things he's ever written doesn't bother to put it on and Foot of Pride which again isn't a great song but I love it because it's another of these sort of mad, furious, totally impenetrable screeds that he comes out with They sing Danny Boy at his
3: funeral and the Lord's Prayer you talk about crass
2: tree and Death is Not the End as well, like I think he does a version of that, so. Yeah,
1: I really like that song, that's going to be on the new Lake series.
2: Yeah, I hope they do Infidels justice, because I've got a soft spot for it, but he basically ruined it through his musical choices. <laughs> or his track listing choices, not his musical right. ones. I mean. Yeah,
1: I think it's the sequencing choices that the problem with that record, I mean, I don't mind the production on that one too much, I think by mainstream 80s standards, Mark Knopfler did a solid job on that, and yeah. I think maybe some of the problems people have with it, and it more are more Bob's fault than Knopfler's fault because Bob was born, the one who did the final mixes of that record while Dire Straits were on tour
0: mm. but
1: you have like great musicians on that album Mick Taylor me. formerly of The Stones on guitar it's not Ian McLagan from The Faces he played on the tour but oh it's the keyboardist from Dire Straits who plays on the record there, alongside Knopfler but I, I mean I really like Knopfler's melodic guitar style on that album especially just stuff like sweetheart like you something's actually probably one of the better songs of the album <laughs> <you> <laughs> not without its flaws but indeed <laughs> it's got that. And that's a nice example of when Dylan teams with a musician who's got a strong vision of the kind Mm. of stuff that can be brought to his music you would hear on his other records. Yes. A senior Dylan source said to Rolling Stone in an article I read that they couldn't make that album sound too... Non 80s because the rhythm section on that was Sly and
2: Robbie. Sly and Robbie, yeah. Re-
1: <laughs> the legendary reggae rhythm section, and not that they're sort of super 80s, but the reggae feel of that album is something that maybe some people haven't always vibe with, and like that's not coming off because. Mm they were the guys who played on it and that's what them playing sounds like (laughs) and i don't mind again like i like sly and robbie i think that album is fascinating like Mm -hmm. this reggae rhythm section half of dire straits uh, (laughs) mick taylor bringing his bluesy slide guitar yeah and some of dylan's wildest songwriting
2: yeah i think this is an example of where it all works even though it shouldn't whereas i won't Talk too much about the Desire album because I think I think that's the total opposite. the stuff that should work really well, and he has a brilliant combination of musicians and guests, Jacques Levy, to collaborate with him on the lyrics. But somehow it doesn't work. Like I, I find Desire a really unsatisfactory album, even though it should work really well. But I think I Infidels think, is like the opposite of that.
1: I think the Desire songs pretty much every one of them worked better when performed on the Rolling Thunder review.
2: Mm, Yes, definitely. Much
1: more inspired performances. So yeah, the next bootleg series is Volume 16, Springtime in New York and that covers (laughs) 1980 to 85. So as well as infidel sessions, I think it's going to be mostly infidels because those were incredibly productive sessions. Mm -hmm. But you're also going to get a disc of like i said kind of de 80s versions of the empire burlesque album which is a, <laughs> s- a spectacular display of 80s bombast you've got <laughs> arthur baker producing that record mm. and- and from what the source said they just stripped all Arthur Baker's shit off <laughs> for the new bootleg series
2: I mean Empire so. Belasca's got my no it hasn't it's... again like his choices man he leaves off Brownsville Girl which <laughs> yeah. I think is, is genuinely one of the best things the most cinematic it's another of those sort of sprawling picaresque stories but he's got a gospel choir on there
3: I wish I could remember that movie just a little bit better All I remember about it was that it starred Gregory Peck
2: who actually work better than they normally do with him. And yeah, he just doesn't bother to put these songs on studio the studio albums. Sounds. But I hope that track is done justice it for the new stuff.
1: Yeah, that eventually appeared, or band knocked out Loaded, in 86. Yes, uh, yes it Heavily, heavily, well, heavily gussied up, uh, <laughs> the 80s vibes. There's a version called New Danville Girl, which I think you've heard, right? Yeah, Which is from the Empire Burlesque Sessions. I think it's pretty similar, the title. But yeah, I think that... That's the one that will probably be showing up on springtime in new york so it'd be really cool to have a good quality version of that and i think we talked a little bit before about the tight connection to my heart oh videos yes <laughs> directed by the great paul schrader set in japan i think yes. i guess this is around the time schrader was doing mishima so he was very interested in japanese culture and um, Bizarre.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was trying to think of something sensible to say about the <laughs> but this is one of the songs I don't mind off the album as well, particularly for the opening line, well, I had to move fast and I couldn't leave you around my neck, like yeah. some, another, <laughs> I find that a relatable line.
1: You said um, you would come to me and you did. What did you expect? <laughs> and he's doing the thing, like all of those lines are taken from Humphrey Bogart film noirs.
2: Ah. Okay, I, I, I did not know that. Okay, that's a whole other layer of appreciation to the song for
1: me. That song is to rewrite of an Infidel's outtake, Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart, mm-hmm. which there's a version on the bootleg series 1-3, to three, but there's a more rockin' version I like. I remember we disagree on this. You prefer the more <laughs> the more acoustic-based bootleg series version. I do, I do. Version. I think the rockin' one will be probably the version on forthcoming bootleg series but that has a completely different approach to how he starts it they say eat drink and be merry grab the bull by the horn
3: yes take the bull by the horn
1: I keep seeing visions of you, a lily among thorns. That line I think is incredible.
2: The whole alternative lyrics are very, um. Cause it was on, was it on Biograph? I've definitely heard a version of it.
1: Yeah, that will be on bootleg series one to three. That's, that's yeah. right. Yes. He's like getting harder and harder to recognise for trap. Too much information about nothing. Too much educated rap just like you told me just like you said i i guess like it's just like you told me just like you said it would be he doesn't jump off the page but just like the way he sings it mm. just like you told me just like you said it would be it's like i think his singing around infidels was so impassioned and great like on joker mm. man oh on yeah. i and i on blind willie McTell. that's the best he ever sang mm. on license to kill Oh, yes!
2: What? Uh, what yeah, a m- that's, that's something I always forgot about, but yeah, that's pretty good.
1: How can you forget the song where he, he boldly came out against <laughs> space travel? Thanks. He will,
0: man invented
3: his doom. First step was
1: <laughs> One of my notes was just, Bob's hatred of space travel. Vindicated.
2: <laughs> oh, clearly he foresaw the whole Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos by flying exactly. to the moon and leaving us all here. Yeah, it's a prophetic song really.
1: Yeah, man has invented his doom The first step was touching the moon He didn't say who touching <laughs> the moon He meant the rich man Absolutely uh, the moon. And then we'll just like log on tomorrow And see Bob Dylan on a trip to sp- He's spending his new money from selling His catalogue on going to space <laughs> But then just very briefly on Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart, the next line is amazing, and he changed it to, I think, incorporate another line from the film noir in Tight Connection to My Heart. But in Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart, he says, the moon rising like wildfire, I feel the breath of a storm. And then he changes that on Tight Connection to My Heart to I'm going to get my coat, I feel the breath of a storm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it kind of suits it because he's doing this very casual talk something thing where he's mm. doing his best Humphrey Bogart like... <laughs> I'm gonna get my coat
2: <coughs> <laughs> it does yeah it works better for this version I think but yeah that line is such a loss because it's so beautiful
1: Oh, I know, yeah. Moon rising like wildfire. And then, <laughs> this is so funny. Just got back from a city of flaming red skies. Everybody thinks with their stomach, there's plenty of spies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of verse that he puts on an early version of a track and rewrites, but I, I still like yeah. it. like, I was just going through like, the other night just pissing about like I went through this leaked infidels outtake album like there's, there's oh, like yeah yeah several discs worth of leaked infidels outtakes <laughs> and they all sound pretty good there's a bit of tape hiss and stuff but i just listen to just every take of sweetheart like you <laughs> <laughs> he pretty it turns out he pretty much but nailed the lyrics heart heart on heart heart take three <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> takes one to three have very different lyrics and if you go to the rehearsals as well there's some different lyrics there too and it's just incredible seeing the way that he's working on it and it makes it make sense mm. the way years after putting a song out he'll decide oh yeah i should change that because there's so many alternates there's so many directions he could have gone in but he mm.
2: oh, doesn't. There's that whole it might be an urban legend or something but the whole thing about a hard rain's gonna fall every line in that was meant to be the first line of another song um, wow. which, which he thought that he wouldn't again this is where the urban legend comes in I think the threat of nuclear war was so impending that he thought he'd never get to write all these other songs so he put their opening lines into <laughs> a Hard Rain um, I'm not sure if I believe that but it's an excellent Bob <laughs> wow. myth
1: I love the idea of him being just so terrified by the looming threat of nuclear war I mean, <laughs> as many people were but many were <laughs> yeah <laughs> with this great existential weight of this being Bob Dylan's mind <laughs> and, you know the age of the antichrist uh, as, as only the gun. They, they killed him once. They killed. Uh, what, what is what is there's a particular lyric from "Murder Most Foul." Killed him on the altar like a sacrificial lamb or whatever it is. I need to listen to that song. Again. Oh yes, um, is it the
2: the altar of the new moon or something like that? It's it's a, a really. They killed him on the altar it.
1: of. It's a New Orleans reference, actually. They killed him on the altar the of the rising sun. Oh.
2: Down. Oh, this boy. is,
1: because obviously, you know, there is a house in New And Oliver Stone's JFK, what city is that set in?
2: It <laughs> all comes <laughs> together. <laughs> exactly.
1: Which city's homosexual underworld does Earth that Earth film Earth posit Earth were Earth responsible Earth. for the assassination of JFK? <laughs> I mean, Bob doesn't be seem, be to seem to have anything in this song about the whole homosexual underworld aspect of the Oliver Stone... Conspiracy theory, but yeah, like that's absolutely it. They <laughs> killed him on the altar of the rising sun, and oh, I think lovely. that's uh, kind of a double entendre. I think it's the rising sun of a new decade. They killed him so mm. early on in the 60s, they killed him on the altar of the, the sun of the Beatles, mm. the son of this new popular culture that Dylan was part of, rising or the liberatory politics of the 60s. Yeah, mm.
2: Age of Aquarius. When yeah did that began by then yeah yeah exactly and he mentions that
1: in the song doesn't he mm. i'm going to woodstock it's the aquarian age then i'll go over to Ultima and sit near the stage
2: <laughs> <laughs> just brilliant absolutely brilliant
1: <laughs> so funny so if i watched you know those first listen reaction videos people do oh yeah, yeah yeah i got so much joy after watching One of those, and it was just like this young black American guy, and he was just loving murder most foul. (laughs) He kept having to pause it, like, yo, because Dylan had just done what in rap music he would have identified as just like such a killer line. You know, it's it's like the same. You know, Dylan is like it's cliche to say he invented rap music, but it's the same focus on sheer lyrical content Mm, as the best MCs you know um, right down to incorporating a lot of humor mm. into his work that's a note i did about love and theft actually that's one of his strangest most eccentric and plain dazzling albums lyrically yes like musically it's quite a conservative album i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way but it harks back to like the 1940s on lot mm. of its tracks harks back to like Bing Crosby (laughs) very uncool music
2: Is Moonlight on this as well,
1: Moonlight exactly
2: which is him doing, yeah basically him doing Bing Crosby though in a slightly creepy manner, which (laughs) I I appreciate I think Moonlight's a great song
1: and you've got By and By on that record in a similar vein Hmm. as well, but then there's a couple of songs, Poe Boy sticks out to me in particular Poe in the sense of poor Just for our listeners (laughs) not from the American South uh, and also Floater, too much to ask. I mean, there's lots of really good songs in that album. Mm. Um, but those two songs, and I guess High Water for Charlie Patton are once. Well, and Mississippi. But Mississippi is such a perfect song. It's mm. not a weird song in the same way as Floater or Poe Boy.
2: No, I mean, they are like, oh, incredibly funny. You're right, oh, which like, I'd kind of forgotten about.
1: Just all these dad jokes. like. Uh, <laughs> yes. For whom are you looking? Your wife. I say she's busy in the kitchen cooking. Freddy or not, here I come. Incredible. It's like like fucking knock, knock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Knocking on the door, I say, who is it and where are you from? The man says, Freddy. I say, Freddy who? He says, Freddy or not, here I come. And that's two lines. Like, he's just squeezing that into the meeting.
2: Yes, he does that in Summer Days, which isn't a... Yeah. I don't like it as much as some of the other ones, but... Kind of fun. Yeah, and I think there's a line from The Great Gatsby on it, or something else oh, yeah. of that nature, which is, I said, you can't repeat the past. She said, what do you mean you can't? Of course you can't.
1: That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, fantastic. So experience.
2: brilliant. And it's delivered so fast and so sharp. It's really, really good. My eyes,
1: she's a hole my hand. She into my eyes. She's holding my hand. She said you can't repeat the
3: past. I said you can't. What do you mean you can't? Of course you can. not you break my heart one more time?
1: Just for that song is the designated jam vehicle for his band on those 2005 shows i sent you yes. <laughs> yes they're just like okay. <laughs> rockabilly billion art for almost 10 minutes a time <laughs> Politician got on his jogging shoes, he must be running for office. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dad joke, he got no time to lose. A fella told Desdemona, I'm cold, cover me with a blanket. By the way, what happened to that poisoned wine? She says, I gave it to you, you drank it.
2: Absolutely (laughs) wonderful, the delivery, the fact that it's genuinely an entire short story in like four lines isn't it? Yeah, it's Um,
1: funny, it's referential, like, again, another Dylan Rap thing is that he knows how to, like, ride the beat, he has such a good sense of rhythm, like, he wouldn't be able to change the meter of his songs every single night he's on stage Mm. if he didn't know where to come in, and he has a great sense of pitch as well, Mm. like, sometimes he'll sing badly but i don't think he often actually sings off key he's, yes. he's just like <laughs> he's straining or whatever but uh, yeah you know, i he, agree he knows what he's doing the way that he delivers lyrics is such an alchemy in itself like even aside from the mm. lyrics that he's actually delivering whether it's a dad joke or some startling line about the ghost of electricity yes while i'm looking at the lyrics to. Floater. Too much to ask.
2: <laughs> I do wish it wasn't called that.
1: <laughs> it's such a fu- yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just, I just think you know what I'm thinking of. Uh... It doesn't
2: help that I think he's using it in the sense of drifter. It's a fun song and a silly song, but there's some sort of melancholy to it as well. If they all go out of here any way they could, Cold Rain can give you the shivers. They went down the Ohio, the Cumberland, the Tennessee, all the rest of them rebel rivers. So I guess he's back to the Civil War, but there's something that's really quite unsettling and quite disturbing about this song. Though so it has that's, got a lot of dad jokes in <laughs> it.
1: That's a great line, the Ohio, the Cumberland, the Tennessee, like it just kind of lets them roll off the tongue, like mm. a lesser songwriter might. Pick two of the rivers or something. Yes, exactly. But, but he's like, no, no, I've got there's enough syllables. I can,
2: I can, I can do that.
1: And then two lines before that, he's back in Shakespeare as well. He's like, Romeo oh, he yes. said to Juliet, "You've got a poor complexion. It doesn't give your appearance a very youthful touch." <laughs> Juliet said back to Romeo, "Why don't you just shove off if it bothers you so much?"
2: <laughs> Absolutely the, wonderful.
1: The specific line I was looking for was, "All oh, right, so this line. If you ever try to interfere me or cross my path again." you do so at the peril of your own life i'm (laughs) i'm not i'm not quite as cool or forgiving as i sound i've seen enough heartaches and strife Um, that's from the yakuza book (laughs) so that's the japanese gangster talking there wonderful but the bit i was thinking of was my grandfather was a duck trapper he could do it with just Why dragnets and ropes. My grandmother Sometimes, could sew neck dresses out of old cloth. I don't know if they had any dreams or hopes.
2: I adore those lines and I'm that cool, again, the way it sort of shifts back and forth between humour and then you suddenly get that Fucking hell, the lives of the lives of the American poor. Um, I don't know if they had any dreams or hopes. Yeah, yeah but just,
1: just busy trapping and like, No, it's it's an incredible song, and that's why I'm saying this album. It has exactly as much lyrical content. You may say, okay, it's not quite as good but it has as much going on lyrically as any of his 60s albums because mm. I mean they've got such this like youthful exuberant energy that his most recent albums because they're kind of musically conservative in a lot of ways I mean I don't think Murder Most Vowel is like the way that mm. he was just like I've got a lot of syllables to fit in I could do Boy and just cram them all in again but on the other hand I could just have no rhythm and let the drums be like a melodic in <laughs> Instruments just mm. ornamenting alive, the rest of the instruments but a lot of his albums they're rooted in certain traditional musical word. forms and traditional a broad definition break. of traditional this might mean mid 20th century American popular here. music mm-hmm. but you can look at that and forget <laughs> there's still so much going on in terms of the lyrical content Romeo it. you said to
3: Juliet you got a full complexion and doesn't give you a appearance of used useful touch Julius said back to Romeo, why don't you just shove off if it bothers you so much? They got out of here any way they could, cold rain can give you the shivers. They went down the Ohio, the Cumberland, the Tennessee, all the rest of them rebel rivers.
2: Oh yeah, and I'm actually just scrolling through the lyrics to Floater. Um, and the, the fact that I mean, he does this quite a lot. You'll be sort of going down in various couplets where the lines are almost justified, and then there's a massive line that just sort of spills over onto the next one. After he says he doesn't know if his grandparents had any dreams or hopes, there's I had him once though, I suppose, which is a brilliant line itself. I hadn't, had him once though, I suppose to go along with all the ring-dancing Christmas carols and all the Christmas Eves. I mean, that is a fucking hell of a line. <laughs> How have I never noticed
1: that before? That's amazing. Like we say, like the more you learn about Dylan, the more you realise what you previously missed and what you mm. still have to learn. I-, I love specifically the line, my old man, he's like some feudal lord, got yes. more lives than a cat.
2: Yeah, wonderful. I mean, there's so much... I know he's written a fairly dreadful novel, didn't he, called Tarantula, quite young, but his turn's a phrase here, and- the imagery and all the family dynamics and the romance etc that it caused to mind and he's got a year for dialogue as well I would love to read a screenplay
1: or a novel that was based on this album well the closest thing is immediately after this his next project was the film Masked and Anonymous oh we, god we yes. did an episode on it recently and it is mad <laughs> like, I have come to appreciate it but Dylan's ear for dialogue that he has in his lyrics very often does not translate to the screen in a way recognizable as human dialogue (laughs) as human conversation but when you sort of think of it as this is stuff that you would probably enjoy if it had some in blues behind it and Mm. bob was belting it out himself in his his loudest singing voice, not his unassuming, <laughs> mumbly acting voice. Mm. Like then, I think you would like it. So I think there is stuff to appreciate in *Masked and Anonymous*. I mean, he actually has a film project in the works. He's producing a film called *Calico Joe* oh, yeah. with George okay. Clooney. Oh wow! Now this is a baseball movie. it's an adaptation of a john grisham novel none of this is sounding good to me (laughs) but okay um, interesting (laughs) i thought that it said dylan was going to be writing it with george clooney but i don't think that is the case i think dylan is on board as a producer but clooney is writing it with his writing partner grant heslov Mm. but that's just sort of one of these strange dylan projects you get like the bootleg series heaven's door whiskey (laughs)
2: <laughs> which i really appreciate on like at least three levels like that's music whiskey as a theme and also an excellent pun
1: yeah <laughs> great bootleg pun it was there for taking you know? whiskey bob dylan loves 1930s depression era imagery you know and he's one of the most bootlegged artists in history and yeah He has his own bootleg series. So yeah, just so good on so many levels. Probably really expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't drink anyway, but (laughs) I would proudly display a bottle of his shameless (laughs) cash-in on my shelf. Absolutely. He is quite funny how he's shameless when it comes to business
2: oh absolutely and i again like I, I i can't help but respect the hustle you know same with him sort of turning his back on the folk movement and selling out it's just well no yeah get get, get that money bob
1: <laughs> i mean yeah i'll be charitable i said i don't necessarily think playing electric music is selling out i can hmm. see the argument of course but doing that Victoria's Secrets ad, what like, <laughs> <laughs> where he's just like leering over some woman while Lovesick plays in the background.
2: Oh I'd forgotten that. Yeah, that was pretty atrocious.
1: <laughs> very, very funny though. Like just Yes. When Dylan turns up in strange situations, there's <laughs> always comic value to it, even if you don't agree with what he's doing.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean the the man is just very very silly at a very deep level you know which i, I love about it.
1: something that was in some ways kind of silly in it again had all that like vintage mid-20th century americana imagery in it mm. had a feel of david lynch to it and you will have only got the audio component because i sent you my own personal bootleg that mm-hmm. i ripped of bob's first ever live stream concert shadow kingdom indeed um, Livestream somewhat deceptive, because this is clearly not actually live. This is a, <laughs> a, a carefully put together, almost
0: album-type
1: mm. uh, experience, but I mean... You may have seen some screenshots, but without the visuals, what did you think of Shadow Kingdom?
2: I wondered how much I was missing without the visuals, but I enjoyed the whole thing. Again, I don't say this in an insulting way, but it was a bit supper club, (laughs) in in exactly the same way as his Sinatra covers and the previous gig that I'd seen with him, which was very dinner jacketed and everyone was... A classy evening's entertainment. Yeah, an an audience with Bob (laughs) Dylan, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, I don't say that in a bad way. I think some of the mystical bloodthirsty elements maybe got got a bit lost, which I regretted but again I thought it was great to see him deconstructing some of his older stuff like he does tombstone blues with I think ah, barely, so barely any accompaniment oh and Queen Jane approximately no... in the minor key which I thought was really interesting
1: that's a great version of Queen Jane and yet it was like the murder most foul of tombstone blues <laughs> <laughs> super like drifting in and out the music no rhythm again he didn't have a drummer for this show as well as playing oh. with all new musicians <laughs> Differently was no percussion, so it was all kind of left to... I, I can't remember the woman's name, but she was playing double bass on pretty much the whole thing, oh, wow. um, which has a nice, thick, percussive sound, so that was where most of the rhythm was coming from. But mm. yeah, there was actually some new lyrics throughout the show. You may not have picked up on them, because I didn't at first until someone pointed out that they were new.
2: I thought t- I caught some on Queen Jane, but I couldn't decide if he'd rewritten it or if he'd just sort of forgotten the words. Someone was sort of fudging them together a bit. Um, But that's the only one that I noticed. Oh, interesting. There was one
1: where I was just like, he mumbled that lyric. (laughs) Listen to a Kanye West demo. There's some leaked stuff out there. Before he actually writes or gets someone else to write his verses, he'll just go over the beat like, just trying to like feel out the rhythm. Like Dylan did that for just like half of one line. Uh, Which he occasionally does on his album. I admire his commitment to just like, (laughs) Well, there's a famous story about chris shaw the engineer who worked on modern times love and theft and rough and rowdy ways who bob hired for his work on public enemies classic records and there's this bit where chris shaw said to dylan about one of the songs on love and theft he's like bob where you supposed to say shadow on that take you say stado are you sure you are you sure you want to do that as the take or do you want to like redo it and uh, bob was just like
0: Scallow. <laughs> <style. laughs>
1: so he doesn't care if there's a minor error on one of his songs. It's like on Visions of Joanna, you know how the final chorusy bit of Visions of Joanna is slightly longer than the rest? Like it has that the fiddler now steps to the road, whatever. Yeah. Slightly extended on the back of a fish truck that loads while their conscience explodes. Just two extra lines, I think. Hmm. You can hear the fucking band are like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the finished, the like classic studio version of Visions of Joanna, <laughs> they forget that, that, that that's there, or like on one of the verses of like a rolling stone, they forget the chord changes as well. I, think. <laughs> I love that shit.
2: Isn't it on Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands where he didn't tell the band how many verses it had, <laughs> which which meant that they sort of, built with every chorus they sort of built to a crescendo because they were like okay yeah. this is a big finish and then he just carry on with another finish
1: yeah 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 so he really kept them on their toes there like kenny buttery's drums on that track are so good because mm. he was just constantly building to a climax <laughs> the lyrical rewrite in shadow kingdom that i was going to mention was in to be alone with you did i kill somebody Did I escape the law? He said that there was less of the fire and brimstone, the bloodthirsty, mm. battle rap, murdery, kind of, you know, that sort of stuff from Bob. But there was a slight rewriting to Be Alone with You where he's just like, Did I kill somebody? And then did a huge dramatic pause and then just like, in his way that he'll do high notes now, he's like, Did I escape the law? <laughs> 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 that was my favorite bit of that song I thought the version of it wasn't a radical rearrangement he just i mean the melody was the same he just did it with a yeah. kind of like rock and roll rock mm. rhythm but i'll be your baby tonight was just i thought his vocals were great on the show mostly but on that it was just like oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: I'm always a bit dubious about that song as well just i think it doesn't have much substance though so, you know it's Corny uh, bob. Yeah, and, and also it's got what's the object That big fat moon is gonna shine like a spoon. Like, oh, <laughs> come on, dude! You, you're Bob Dylan. You, you can come up with something that isn't rhyming moon and spoon, surely. That's <laughs>
1: what the Dylan podcast joker men refer to as wiggle mode. <laughs> you yeah, know, wiggle, wiggle. Where, yes, where he's like, he's in, he's channeling the nursery rhyme vibe.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean,
1: a great, like, Dylan Wiggle Mode tune is a Tweedly Dumb and Tweedly Dee. Oh, yes! Sorry, correction. In a classic, perverse Dylan move, the song is called Tweedly Dee and Tweedledum, but the entire song he sings Tweedly Dumb and Tweedly Dee in that order. That's a cool song, though. But yeah, any any other highlights of Shadow Kingdom?
2: No, I mean I was pleased with the whole thing, which again, as I was saying before, I always approach a new Dylan intervention with with a bit of trepidation, but I thought this was very solid.
1: Just to fill you in on the visuals, Mm. it had a feel of a mid-20th century African American dive bar. Okay. Um, I thought at first that he'd picked out specifically an entire audience of black people (laughs) uh, to just get that jazz club kind of feel, but he actually had some white guys dressed like mid 20th century agricultural or possibly factory workers sitting around (laughs) smoking (laughs) at one point because it wasn't really a live show. Each performance was staged and it, it, like in a different kind of spot. It was very, like I say, really cool visually. He was at one point just standing, singing in this crowd of white working class, kind of, well, probably actors living with their wealthy parents in LA. But these guys like dressed up, like they just come back from the mill. <laughs> They're drinking beer and all of them completely ignoring him. <laughs> and then in other, he performed another song Along with like two brassy film noir boards like <laughs> standing on either side of him, <laughs> just like flanking him, like these are my girls. <laughs> and apparently one of them was Martin Scorsese's daughter. Oh wow. I don't know. I guess when you're Martin Scorsese's daughter, you get the invites to the she's, pr- she's probably known Dylan all her life. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um Danny Harrison. George Harrison's son talks mm. about how Bob Dylan's very nice to him growing up and stuff. But yeah, there are some people who just... Bob Dylan has been there their whole life as a, mm. as a, as a person they know. <laughs> on iPlayer currently, there's a documentary about AJ Weberman. Okay. It features clips of the famous Weberman dylan phone call, <laughs> which are actually available on YouTube in full. Um, oh, wow you want to listen to the two of them go head to head <laughs> weatherman take offense at dylan singing on sign on the window on new morning dylan's like looks like nothing but the rain or something and aj weatherman's like what are you a weatherman <laughs> <laughs> And at one point, Dylan like Dylan is just trolling him. Like he he knows that the thing that's gonna upset at this time in his life, radical leftist hippie AJ Webberman, is to call him a cop. And he's just like, you know, I'm gonna have some pins printed up that say AJ is a pig. And Webberman gets so fucking angry. He's like, you you calling me a fucking pig, man? You hang out with fucking Johnny Cash, man. And that Dylan just keeps saying, yeah, man, I think you're a pig. You go through people's garbage. Isn't that what the police do?
2: Oh, wonderful.
1: But there's an anecdote. I was just thinking of Dylan as a role model to kids. There's an anecdote that Weberman tells in that about he's like stalking Dylan. One day as he does, he's hanging out outside Dylan's house. And Dylan is with his young son. I'm not sure which one of his sons, but Dylan's unpacking the car with his young son outside his house. And he points to Webberman and then gets his son. He says, look over there. Look at Webberman. He had a nose job because he's ashamed that he's Jewish. Oh, God. And uh, and Webberman, like, again, Dylan, he seems to know exactly what will crush mm. Webberman. And he just looks at his son. He's just like, I don't ever want you to be ashamed that you're Jewish, son. <laughs> don't be like AJ. <laughs> and Webberman is just like, that was the last time I ever saw Dylan. And this is years later. And this guy is a fantasist. This maybe never actually happened, but... Mm. It's just brutal
2: <laughs> oh yeah i mean and he's always i think it's a it's measure of how just like psychologically astute he is he always knows which buttons to push to be a, a horrible person to like anyone in his life there's that actually quite sort of upsetting scene with his him and phil oaks and i think another of that sort of milieu in a taxi and dylan's just sort of destroying oaks and then finishes it off by saying something like get out oaks you're not a writer you're a see- journalist
1: Yeah, you're not a folk singer, you're a journalist. I think that was it. You know, then you look at Phil Oakes, who took his own life, Mm. not because of that, years later. Guy struggled with depression a lot. And that was very unfair of Dylan as well. You look Mm. at Oakes' song, Changes. That's not a political song. It's just a beautiful piece of songwriting. But... Obviously, most of Oakes' stuff was kind of agitprop. Mm. And so he knew exactly mm. <laughs> where to get him. Exactly. And, I mean, we've gone on a long time. I'm oh, conscious blimey, yes, now. We have. <laughs> I'm keeping you here. I've gone over most things in my notes here. Cool. I don't think I mentioned that Bootleg Series 17 is apparently going to be time out of mind sessions or oh yeah <clears> so <throat> the senior source says <laughs> not my senior source <laughs> Senior <laughs> dylan sources rolling stones senior source but i was just going to ask you how many times have you seen dylan so you saw him in the sinatra era but you said you saw him in 2005 yeah the, the
2: first time that i saw him was at pretty sure it was brixton academy ah no the first time i saw him was at the Hammersmith Apollo which okay. must have been maybe slightly earlier. I mean, this is all on the Never Ending Tour, but yeah, I saw him at Hammersmith Apollo, then at Brixton Academy, then weirdly at a venue in Cardiff with my mother, where I lost sight of her in the crowd and then found her again and she was smoking a joint, <laughs> <laughs> which was just a really nice sort of mother-daughter awesome. bonding experience. <laughs> yeah, and then I've seen him at massive festivals like The Flower in Finsbury Park and that kind of thing. But yeah, then the last time I saw him was at Wembley. So yeah, I guess only a handful of times, really like sort of maybe six or seven times
1: which ones of those shows have stuck out to you as the highlights
2: uh the brixton academy one particularly because the others i was sort of on my own but i went there with a friend of mine susie who's also a dylan obsessive and we, we were probably like right on the barrier We all all the boring men getting sort of annoyed with the fact <laughs> that we were yelling at the tops of our voices. But in fact, the first song he did was sort of a tribute to Link Ray, who I think might have. Yeah, I can't remember how we brought him into it. But yes, yeah, so it opened with a sort of tribute to another artist, and then he closed by covering the Clash's "London Calling." Um, so good. And the, yeah, like the Clash are just slightly lower than Dylan on my list of bands that I absolutely love. Yeah, I love that. And, and "London Calling" is quite a sort of emotionally important song to me for various reasons. So having all of that wrapped up together was just magnificent like that's one of the best gigs i've been
1: to certainly weirdly the first time i saw bruce Springsteen, he opened the show with london calling oh wow so we've both seen famous rockers who are not the class <laughs> but those 2005 brixton academy shows there's a cool compilation of them on the dylan blog a thousand highways which compiles compilations of different years and eras and tours that he's done Mm. and their compilation of that residency is a really good listen i mean it's all audience recordings but pretty good ones i think and uh, it features i think the two covers that you've mentioned alongside a great visions of joanna one of the boring men that you mentioned <laughs> when Bob's guitarist Well you had Stu Kimball in the band then as well but I think it's the late Denny Freeman who mm. died earlier this year sadly I think there's a really cool guitarist I think the only Dylan album he played on was Modern Times but I mm. played with him live for several years and he does a really nice solo in Visions of Joanna and then just does one Slightly bad note, and this cunt the noise is just like, oh, what's he? No, what's he? He's like, ooh, <laughs> he's so, and he's so close to whoever's recording it. My god, like, I hope someone kicked that guy's ass after this. Sure. <laughs> The guy recorded that was probably next to you and your friend. like He was the boring man, just like, oh, damn it! <laughs> I'm trying to make a bootleg that people will discover in 15 years from now.
2: <laughs> oh, my
1: And he did Million Dollar Bash at those shows as well. Oh, but, yeah. For like the only time, I think?
2: Yeah, that was not the show I was at, but I may have heard that version, which is great. That was
1: a great song, just silly, just gibberish, you know, <laughs> fun. Basement tapes vibes. Yeah. Um, I've seen Dylan twice. I saw him in 2017, which was the tail end of the Sinatra era. Mm. I think 2018 he went back to playing shows of all original stuff. And then I saw him again in 2019, co-headlining with Neil Young at oh. Hyde Park. Oh, brilliant. They uh, like, we want to put on a show that will appeal specifically to Jack frame <laughs> I want to, how do we? <laughs> how do we go about this? <laughs> and yeah, just finally, I guess the only thing, oh no, there's another thing about The Never Ending Tour, actually. But just the Never Ending Tour is fascinating because, in a lot of ways, it's so transient. There's a lot of it, at least before the pandemic hit, but most artists touring solidly for 30 years would be putting out a few live albums along the way to Mm. make a bit of money. Because it's just easy money. You're always playing live, why not just record the shows, put them out? But Dylan, maybe in years to come, will get live albums drawn from. 30 years of the never ending talk absolutely believes in some kind of mystique to the live show that it is a thing that happens in the moment
2: yes definitely
1: one of the only times I've seen him speak on stage before he started introducing his band again after not doing so for years <laughs> in 2019 a clip went viral of him having a go at someone in the audience for taking pictures <laughs> that was, he was just like I'm gonna start like we can have a sing or we can you can have a listen to music you can take pictures and, like, you, couldn't, you couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying he's really distressed to be honest like, I was uh, so <laughs> I'm glad that he seemed to keep on touring after that and go from strength to strength <laughs> but yeah there's an MTV Unplugged live album but that wasn't recorded on the tour mm. I mean you can tell because it had a keyboard player on it he never has keyboard players mm-hmm. on, on his tour because he says they all overplay he's the only person <laughs> who trusts to play keyboard instead. and I mentioned how the big screens so are always just a static shot of him his keyboard mm. and maybe you'll see the guy behind him That's
2: it. Yeah, there's really no... I was going to say there's, there's no sort of attention to aesthetic but I mean I guess minimalism is a kind of aesthetic approach or choice in itself I remember one time I saw him and he had all the band wearing black hats and he was in a white hat I'm, wow. sh- I'm sure we were meant to read some sort of mystic significance into that but I wasn't quite sure what <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think there must be a kind of loose dress code in mm. his band maybe he doesn't tell them but they know they've got a kind of dress classy mm. and dress old fashioned Indeed. <laughs> yeah. the only paragraph that I had in the show notes that we haven't really got into is dylan and rap so just very quickly like running through some of the stuff i've found like there's obviously people will be like oh dylan you know he invented rap and when i say people i mean like irritating white boomer rock fans who've never heard a fucking rap record in their lives but dylan does have a genuine connection to it's not mm. subterranean homesick blues being kind of talky in the 80s curtis blow recruited him for a track called street rock oh um, yeah
2: which I vaguely remember. I think Curtis Blow recorded with The Clash as well. He seemed to have some sort of affinity with rock musicians.
1: Dylan had used his backing singers mm. on Infidels. And Dylan's actually rapping on that song. He's not like <laughs> just the guest singer. I've indulged in higher knowledge to scan of encyclopedia.
3: Keeping constant research of our reports in news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer and the needy's getting needier.
1: On theme Time Radio Hour, Dylan rapped a few lyrics by LL Cool J. I, performed the them. I think I may have set them to the beat <laughs> I'm not sure, I think I did an edit where I found the beat of that song and Added Dylan to it <laughs> I've indulged in
3: now knowledge to scan up encyclopedia Keeping constant research of our reports in his media in Ethiopia, and we are getting greedier The rich are getting
0: richer and the needy's
3: getting needier don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years, rocking his peers, putting him in fear. the tears rain down like a monsoon. Explosion is overpowering. Over the competition, LL Kooten is towering. is, mama say knock you out, so I'm gonna knock you out.
1: Come on, man. But also, in Chronicles, he praises N.W.A., Ice T, uh, mm. and Public Enemy, and he praises specifically these really hard-edged late 80s rappers. Mm. He describes them in a classic, indelible Dylan Turner phrase as, throwing horses off cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else would think of that. Whether he's doing a beautiful eulogy for Jerry Garcia, bigging up rap mm. music, or whatever, he's just always got that line that is just completely yeah. out
2: of left field.
1: Yeah, but AJ Weberman was furious that Dylan praised Public Enemy <coughs> because of Professor Griff, the former member of Public uh, Enemy's cool. history of anti Semitic mm. remarks, and so he. Use dylan's fondness for rap music as further evidence in his mad (laughs) raving for dylan's (laughs) anti-semitism also not only has dylan himself evidenced a fondness for rap music but several rappers have expressed a fondness for or an affinity with dylan Mm. in their lyrics so for example kanye west a couple of years ago just tweeted bob dylan (laughs) (laughs) He just wrote Bob Dylan No context Then I think He was obviously thinking About Dylan a lot because he tweeted Bob Dylan hit me up let's get together (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that collaboration happened
2: I mean I think there's an obvious affinity with these figures like I've often heard Chuck D compared with Dylan Kanye on another Mm. level on the sort of spectacular showboating and slightly trolly persona that Dylan has I can easily see why Kanye would find something to identify with
1: Kanye's in his Christian era right now
2: indeed indeed
1: I think right now he's doing his kind of shot of love infidels period where he's doing (laughs) stuff that's got some religious stuff and maybe some like normal n- well not normal because he's a very weird guy but <laughs> non-preachy stuff but yeah absolutely and then kanye then revealed that it was when the more blood more tracks <laughs> hilariously titled bootleg series had come out and it turned out kanye had been really into the song up to me oh uh, uh, okay it's a cool song it's kind of got the melody of shelter from a storm but the lyrics are all different mm. yeah so he was tweeting out lyrics from up to me <laughs> 2013 jay-z received criticism from the right for going to cuba on holiday oh wow i was not um, aware of that and so jay-z put out a song not only clarifying that billionaire tycoon (laughs) jay-z is not a communist on the song open letter he also described himself as the dylan of rap and referenced idiot wind oh fantastic he's basically said all the criticisms of him were idiot wind and he said possibly in reference to republican entertainer stacy dash who had criticized his cuban sojourn he said you're an idiot babe you should become a student <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh wonderful i'm in cuba i love Cuba.
1: this communist talk is so confusing when it's from china the very might that the muse idiot win the bob dylan the rap music you're an idiot baby you should become a student Just to top it off, from that same generation of rappers, Nas has said that Dylan is his single biggest influence as a songwriter Mm. on BBC Radio 6. I don't know if that's more of a recent thing or if he was always into Dylan, but Mm. he's reiterated those marks elsewhere. So certainly with middle-aged rappers, Dylan (laughs) is quite popular. You were right to mention Chuck D because Public Enemies management, they used to basically pitch him as the Black Dylan mm. or the Dylan of hip hop to white record labels because that was like within their frame of reference. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. So the point is, Dylan has a, <laughs> a wide-spanning influence.
2: Absolutely. And, a, and including a kind of a timeless one as well in terms of the breadth of his influence, but also he has obviously been around for several hundred years now and he keeps being <laughs> relevant or keeps finding ways to sort of pop up in new places.
1: I feel like he's a test to the fact that if you never try and fit in if you, mm. you don't strain to be the hype thing the contemporary thing you know mm. then there'll always be a place for you
2: yeah absolutely words um, to live by <laughs> if that's an
1: inspiring message yeah that's why real politic remains only marginally popular
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but bob dylan is spectacularly popular so don't listen to that you can actually do good things and get respect for it <laughs> <That's>, absolutely <laughs> you know occasionally it happens and bob dylan is living evidence of that so thanks so much for talking for so long about bob dylan A- with me
2: absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you.
1: It's been really fun. And yeah, do you want to like shout out your projects again to listeners before you go?
2: Yeah, sure. If you go to repeaterradio.com, you'll find both my podcast series there, Handbags and Gladrags and Border Country. And at all good bookshops, you'll find my new book, Paint Your Town Red, How Preston Took Back Control and Your Town Can Too, which is all about the Preston model and how it's attempting to democratise wealth building in the northern town of Preston. I found the book at once fascinating And quite boring because a lot of it is about local government procurement procedures. But that's on a microcosmic level. On a macrocosmic level, it's all about transformative community activism and the potential for socialism in our time.
1: Speaking of the potential for socialism, do you have any words for somebody who I'm sure is a listener of the show? Or at least our listeners in the show will be interested in hearing people say... Negative things about him. Do you have any words for Sakia Starmer? uh, Speaking of the potential of socialism,
2: I think the chap's a disgrace to his first name. Yeah, that'll do. Probably his last one, too.
1: (laughs) and to the name rodney i I would say (laughs) and to kia spelt with an i before the e and to the name keith yeah thanks rianne it's been really really fun no
2: pleasure's all mine thank you so much for having me on and i look forward to this going out
1: brilliant a viva dylanismo
2: absolutely
3: you, know. ah, but anyway, I wish you good spaces Sometimes, You know I will always be there but I'll do it although I'm not supposed to care I'll take you the keys For my flying machine If you like And when you call I'ma come and run into you And if you need somebody sometime I know you would treat me the same Just lie there you're not home I'm